This is Radio Maria England, and this is Women Together. Thanks for joining us today on Radio Maria. We at Women Together have been so blessed this year to have such a lovely team. Gail, Sandy, Janice, Tito, Genevieve. Uh, oh, Helena, that's me. We've had so many lovely speakers joining us, sharing in the beauty, the wonder that is our faith and what it is to be a woman in our faith. We've had men guests, women guests, children guests, and most importantly, we've had you listeners joining us. Anyway, that's my little special thanks for this last program of the year. Janice has spoken today to two lovely women. She's interviewed Pavlina, who is a third order Dominican from the Czech Republic. And she's also spoken to Gail Richards, who is a regional minister for the Eastern Baptist Association. Let's begin the program with a prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with your words. Open our listeners' hearts and ears to hearing the words you want them to hear. Inspire our listeners to act upon what they hear today. And Lord, bless our volunteers. Bless Janice, Gail and Pavlina as we thank them for sharing their time with us. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's start off. uh, Janice, take it away. Hello, Janice. Hello. Thank you so much for coming and talking on Radio Maria this evening for Women Together, uh, which has many, many interesting topics. Thank you. Um, It's my pleasure. So, so, Pavlina, you're from the Czech Republic, a country that we absolutely love. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and education there. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Not many people know the Czech Republic and absolutely not personally. So, mm. yeah, I'm really happy when you say it's your uh, happy place. <laughs> they, they're very, they're very lovely people. They like to think and they're very, very creative we, we, and they never want too much. They realize what they can have. Um, mm-hmm. We really like the Czechs. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and this is why I like you. <laughs> so, yeah, my, my childhood uh, and... Um, a young adulthood in the Czech Republic was very nice. You know, I have great memories. Uh, 
I'm come from countryside, so of course it's a very specific way of living, uh, and also it meant a lot of work um, in your so-called free time <laughs> mm -hmm. because we had a, a small farm and fields to work on but um but in some way we were also independent a bit financially uh which was the advantage of this living but there was an amazing time when we could spend uh absolutely independently on uh, on adults so there were these groups and tribes <laughs> and hordes <laughs> around the village uh, to which you belonged. And we together did great things together. We explored uh, simply something which you nowadays, which you learn at school, but we explored it by experience. Uh, for example, some physical, physical laws or <laughs> sometimes even... Uh, I would say like the social science laws. <laughs> so you are dependent on each other and you have to help each other if you want to survive. Uh, we climbed trees. I learned to swim in a pond uh, mm -hmm. when my older sister almost uh, drowned me <laughs> because she was quite a tough teacher. Oh. <laughs> but I learned, I learned swimming very fast then. Because you want to enjoy uh, the experience with your with your siblings and with your friends, so you you learn something very fast and in a very natural way. So we didn't go to uh, to the artificial swimming pools for which we didn't need to pay. So we just walked behind the village and we swam in a pond, in a natural pond, mm -hmm. which was nice. And really, these are my, my best memories. You know, having the having the um, um fires how do you call them uh bonfires bone yeah the bonfires bone you know fires. in the evenings nice uh and simply rushing around uh maybe sometimes fighting with other tribes <laughs> but not very seriously <laughs> yeah. well, that's really really interesting but i think life there is still more tied to nature isn't it we yeah. are very urban in britain we're very built up yeah yeah uh, was there faith in your family were you brought up in the church well uh i must say also my village is a very specific way sometimes you call it the second vatican because my village was predominantly catholic uh, but my own family was a mixed family. So my mom uh, was a practicing Catholic. Uh, she still is. Uh, my father, he passed away. And he, I think he was a believer, but he wasn't practicing. And my brother and my sister followed his, uh, ex uh, his example. When they, when they grew up, they simply decided that the childish faith isn't enough for them anymore. And mm -hmm. it wasn't enough to keep them um, in the practice of their religion. But for me, it was uh, quite an existential question because I needed to get quite deep into, uh, into the reality of faith. And I asked myself whether it's truthful, uh, whether the religion is on only something like ideological or artificial uh, made up by people. And I started asking these questions. And for me, asking questions means uh, 
to learn about something. So I actually dived deeper uh, into religion and I was ready simply to give up if I find if I found out that uh, it's a nonsense. But honestly, actually, I found more and more interesting stuff the deeper I went. <laughs> so and I think it deepened my love uh, to God instead of to religion. So, mm-hmm. so this personal experience, I think, is something which my siblings never made, mm-hmm. and you know, you would never say never. So maybe it's still going to happen. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But we're not really on about religion. We are on about knowing the Lord and and God. It's a personal thing. That's right. So you went on to university and studied a few things? Yes. uh, Well, I did. uh, Originally, I was a fashion designer. So (laughs) (laughs) I, I pursued a career of a designer and I went on with textile design at university so my first degree is from design which Mm -hmm. I enjoyed very much Uh, you know the feeling of being an artist and bohemian way of living Mm -hmm. but yeah I I really love that because um, I think I'm quite creative as you said Czech people are quite creative Oh yes, they're lovely. So, <laughs> lovely so I, yes, I could, I could. <laughs> the music they do. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I'm, I sang as well from my, from my youth. Mm-hmm. So I really loved doing creative work. So I enjoyed it. I did my BA in design, and then I started working as a, as a fashion designer and a tailor. Um, but then I felt like, well, I still haven't fulfilled the the way or the side of me which is more intellectual mm-hmm. so I went into languages I started mm-hmm. studying Italian and and then I returned back to English uh which I wasn't very good at <laughs> but you are now <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and again I uh it was the it was the time of my second conversion as I said you know like trying to find out what's the faith about. So I started studying theology as a blended course uh, while I worked. And this was also the time when I when I dis- discerned my vocation to religious life. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. So your mother was pleased? You said she was a strong well, Catholic. <laughs> was she shocked? <laughs> I would say my parents weren't pleased no. at that time. But because originally I felt called to join the Missionaries of Love, the Sister Teresa uh, Sisters, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very tough order. Yes. So I actually started preparing my parents for this <laughs> religious career, which meant like not seeing me for 10 years and living yes. somewhere at the end of the world. Yes. So eventually when I actually joined the Dominican Sisters, they were very happy. <laughs> Uh huh. So okay, that was fine. <laughs> yeah, because it was like, oh, it's in the Czech Republic. It's nice. <laughs> okay, that was good. Yeah. So now the Dominicans are not enclosed, and you believe you're working sisters. You're out and about, aren't you? Yeah. So yeah. tell us a little bit about what you've done. You know, with her service okay, and yeah. Uh, evangelism. Yeah, we have both. Uh, we have both orders: the active and the uh, encloistered. Uh-huh. So we have Dominican nuns as well, uh, who are the encloistered uh, branch of our order. But uh, my own congregation belongs to the so-called third order. And it means that we are an active order. We work with people outside 
or actually we are more flexible and we can we can pursue various careers mm-hmm. because but it also means that we work all of us uh all of us work uh because we are dependent on our income simply mm-hmm. in the Czech Republic I think the main difference is that orders and congregations aren't charities mm-hmm. so we don't have any benefits or discounts so we have to pay for everything including our own um, our own institutes or um, the apostolic work which we run so for example we have a school a high school in the Czech Republic which isn't um, isn't a state school so it's somehow labeled as a private school uh, which means that we don't give we don't get the benefits as the state schools do but we also don't charge the students uh-huh. uh, which means wow. <laughs> there is some sum of money missing and we have yes. to pay those money to right. uh, this uh, this money to simply to pay for our uh, for our living and for our apostolic work so we have to be quite wise when we make decisions and simply to work towards sustainability Yes. Okay, that's good. So now you're living in Cambridge. So what kind of work are you doing in Cambridge? Uh, yeah, well, I stayed in the Cambridge Theological Federation uh, where I where I did my PhD studies. Uh, only I moved from one institute, from Margaret Wolford, to two other institutes. <laughs> so the first institute in which I work is the Faraday Institute for Science and Religion. And I work there okay. as, a, as an events manager and I, in, I enjoyed it very much. Good. Uh, and the second job is uh, at the center, Cambridge Center for Christianity Worldwide, where we met <laughs> again. Yes. And I enjoyed it very much as well. Good. Uh, Good. I work there as an academic coordinator, so it's more flexible job um, it covers more areas uh, and it also gives me gives me oppo- an opportunity to um, to employ my creative skills <laughs> yeah so you've got science and faith and you've got Christianity worldwide that's quite a wide spectrum yeah, yeah, yeah. so now you've got a concept of theological visualization <laughs> oh yes Tell us what you mean by that. That's a big well, word. Theological visualization. Yeah, it's a word which I somehow invented <laughs> for uh, or throughout my throughout my research uh, in theology and fine art. So it's a method which I use for theological scholarship, but it originates in fine art methodology, and the main purpose of it is to help people who are rather visual than uh than other like or or words focused um, to understand concepts and ideas which might be rather abstract or hasn't happened uh, haven't happened in the past so you can't actually explain them on um, some examples from the past but rather you use an artistic and creative ability to visualize concepts and ideas which haven't been uh, created or haven't happened yet so mm. it's yeah it's a way of uh, of sharing and 
exploring new knowledge. That's excellent. Yes, I think we have been very variable and the use of arts, pe people look at things and it makes them think. And uh, yes, that's terrific. So um, are you hopeful for the future of Christianity? You know, we've just had these uh, numbers that less than half of the people in Britain are, are Christians. And uh, you, you think that the faith yeah. will carry on? You're hopeful? This is, yeah, this is quite an interesting question because uh, when I did my research, I very often found out, you know, in the papers and in um, and in numbers that the faith probably is still here. Only people are most mostly rather spiritual than religious. Yes, that's so, true. That, that there are lots of people yeah. who think spiritually. Yes, yeah, I know so, that they need that. So I think there is a rather uh, an there is absence of the constitutional religion, but it doesn't mean that people long less for spirituality or for God. So I guess um, they they would love to find or be offered different ways of how to live and experience their uh, their spiritual life or the or some transcendental transcendent matters. But I think um, it's quite a challenge for churches and for all religions to to be open to this desire because it's a natural desire in what I believe was given to to humankind by God to, to long for God yeah, to, to realize for God. Need something beyond yeah, ourselves. Yeah. But we somehow probably patronized God, <laughs> and now it's it's time to time to give way again <laughs> yes and things are always changing so the old formal methods and the doctrines and the, yeah, the stiff yeah, yeah. services and the pews uh, it's all going and, and we have to go with it and as you say find new ways yeah that sounds yeah. lovely so now once you become a nun you become a nun forever do you well <laughs> it's uh it's quite a funny question i would say according to the canon law no because no, I'm a sister, no. <laughs> I'm a sister, and I made my profession until the end of life, not forever. Nuns mm -hmm. make professions forever, the encloistered nuns. Yes. <laughs> but my profession ends up with my life. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's only from the canon law perspective, but also um, I would say when you make the, those professions, of course you mean it and you want to be truthful to your promise, as I believe everybody who, for example, marries somebody, it's the same. Uh, you make they a big, say the a same. Big mm -hmm. But you know, things happen, and sometimes uh, life is difficult. But you know, taking it personally, I would say yes, I will stay a <laughs> sister for stick to for first. quite a while, maybe, yeah. hopefully, the end of my life. <laughs> okay, Pavelina, it's very nice to have you here in Cambridge. We're all enjoying it. And thank you. And although we're on radio, I must say here is a fashion designer, cleverly dressed <laughs> in black and white, mostly white. <laughs> and it suits you very well. So thank you for talking with us this evening. That's been very nice. God bless you and your work and your future. Thank you. Bye -bye. It, was, it was my pleasure again. Bye-bye. Bye -bye.
Thank you, Janice. All right, next up is Gail. Let's hear what she and Janice got up to when they were talking. Hi, Gail. 
Hi, Janice. Thank you for coming. It's really nice to have you on Radio Maria this evening. Uh, so I believe you were born in Birmingham, is that right? Yes, born and raised in Birmingham, England. Um, nice Burmy accent. <laughs> well, not quite, but yeah. <laughs> no, you haven't actually, that's right. Um, and your parents are from, um, is it Jamaica, is that right? Yes, so um, both my parents came over from Jamaica in the 1960s. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure to be shaped both by that heritage and um, the British culture in which I was raised. Yes. So um, do you feel you gained quite a lot from, you know, belonging to Jamaica as well? Absolutely. Loads. Um, Jamaica has a, a rich heritage. Um, being a Baptist, it has a very um, rich Baptist heritage. Um, individuals like Sam Sharp, um, well known as a, as a Baptist deacon um, in the 1830s in Jamaica, who um, led a really significant uh, resistance movement um, from a Christian basis in helping to hasten the ending of um, the transatlantic slave trade. So great, um, much to draw on. Yes, I'm very excellent, very excellent. And so there is a lot of Christianity in Jamaica. Is it is it the same as ours? Are they more exuberant? Is it different? Um, I mean, Jamaica um, is. I, I think it, it would identify as more Christian um, than the UK, given our, our recent census data for 2021 being released. Right. I think I think right. we definitely could say um, Jamaica is is more Christian um, than the UK. Um, but like many countries across the world, it's a changing picture. Um, so there are other faiths there as well. Um, and there is a significant number of people who wouldn't necessarily identify with any organised religion. So it's a varied picture, um, but certainly um, a very rich, as I say, Baptist identity. The Baptist um, church in Jamaica is probably still the biggest um, denomination there. So, right. yeah. Yeah, well, they certainly were con uh, considerable in, in fighting against the slavery and bringing about freedom, weren't they? Yeah, um, in, indeed. Um, and continue to, to raise up significant thinkers, theologians. So a Jamaican was um, the General Secretary of the Baptist World Alliance uh, until recently um, <laughs> when he retired, Neville Callum. So lots to, to draw from this small island with a, a really global influence. You're proud of them. That's good. <laughs> OK, so tell us a little about your childhood and education in, in Birmingham. Uh, did it matter that you were different or were there lots of you different? I grew up in a very multi-ethnic, multi-faith area in Birmingham. And so school was shaped by that environment. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, to this day, my um, ease with being in a, in a multi-ethnic environment or indeed multi-faith um, environment and things like interfaith dialogue and, and relationships flow quite easily for me because of that, that background I, I came from, which was very um, rich. Um, at school, I think all our teachers were white British. So I think sometimes there was some tension between their lack of understanding of some of the cultural practices. Um, but I would say the teachers did their best in the context um, that we grew up in when there wasn't the, the kind of cultural competency um, that is available today through things like the internet and, and which has enabled us to learn so much more about different um, cultures and for us to travel um, to, to understand it. So 
considering the context we were in, I think they did a good job. I certainly had very happy memories um, at uh, primary school in particular. Um, secondary school, again, it was very, very mixed um, and similar situation with the teachers. Um, but there I, I can think of some who um, were more engaged with multi-ethnic um, contexts, um, having partners, for example, who were um, from um, different ethnic groups, which informed their thinking. Um, and so, yeah, so I think, I think certainly primary school and secondary school in terms of um, ethnicity um, and faith was very positive. Going away to university was different. I studied in Liverpool um, and right. I faced um, much more overt racism on the streets right. while I was on campus. That was more challenging. Um, again, I think, as I say, we reflect on the journey. You know, that university I went to now is much more aware of the issues and, and much more uh, involved in trying to challenge some of the sort of structural institutional injustice at play um, in society and, and sort of battling within university culture and practices to make sure um, there, there is as little as that as possible. Um, so, so yeah, some of the, the education picture. Good, good. What did you study? So my first degree in Liverpool was in criminal justice. Um, I've gone on since then to do various other um, theology related studies um, in later life. Um, yeah, um, so I, I've done, I did a master's in youth and community work and applied theology through Bristol Baptist College, um, which was um, affiliated or, or validated by Oxford Brookes University, but connected to what in my day was called Centre for Youth and Ministry. It's changed its name um, these days. And then I did some further study at the Queen's Foundation in, in Birmingham. Um, it's an ecumenical uh, context. I, I think I was the only Baptist there at the time because it's mainly Anglicans and, and Methodists and some Pentecostals. So, um, and I'm currently doing a PhD part time with Bristol Baptist College. So Indeed. the studying has never stopped. <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoy it. That's great. But you're right. Things have changed over the decades, haven't they? Which is which is wonderful. And then so was there a point at which you became you know, a Christian yourself or you grew up with this more of a journey? Yeah, so raised in a Christian household, um, went to Sunday school up until um, sort of early teenage years, um, but then sort of stepped away from that, um, found um, uh, church, or it was mainly Sunday school, because I didn't really go to church services, I went to Sunday school, um, found that a bit boring, irrelevant, a sense of, um, you know, I a strong recollection of thinking it was about learning the difference between right and wrong and thinking I've been going to Sunday school since the age of five. I'm now 13, 14. I think I know the difference now. What's the point? Yeah. Um, so by the time I got to university, I wasn't connected with church on any regular basis. I wasn't attending any church or Sunday school. Um, and as I struggled at, at university in that first year with racism, um, I found myself drifting into the Anglican Cathedral there just to have quiet space. And oh, like, yes, nice cathedral in Liverpool. Yeah, beautiful yeah. cathedral. Um, and I, I think that was a picture of how my faith um, remained for a number of years in, into my um, early, mid-20s, um, not connected to any particular church, wouldn't have identified as a committed Christian, um, but had a, a spiritual um, understanding of life. Uh, believed in God 
Um, and that was um, Christian in, in shape, but I was by no means a committed Christian. That didn't happen until the year 2000, um, by then late 20s. Um, and um, it was a, a family member that was seriously ill, terminally ill. And that sent me back looking for a community. Um, and I, I had a recollection of um, the Sunday school, Sunday school teachers being kind um, and caring and listening to you. So that sent me back in that way. Eventually, I settled at a Baptist church. I wasn't looking for a Baptist church. I was just looking for a church that I'd fit in. But that the one that I found that I um, was the best fit was a Baptist one. Um, and I was baptised in the October of the year 2000. Um, having heard uh, a sermon by a uh, minister in training on the theme of the Christian faith um, being based on the cornerstone of truth and grace. And for me, that was a coming together of the understanding of Christian faith that helped me make that decision. I'd always felt um, Christians were very judgmental um, or the opposite, very wishy-washy. Um, and that sermon helped bring the two together for me and understanding that there is a way um, to live your life, a Christian faith, um, and Christ has given us that framework as to the understanding of how to live your life. And so following his footsteps or trying to follow his ways for me was just the only way um, I, 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 I wanted to live my life. And then um, the, the grace bit, understanding that sometimes you will fall short, we're working progress, we're getting wrong, there is forgiveness. Um, God is gracious with us. Um, and as long as we seek to, to faithfully walk, walk with Christ, he will enable us through uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. So the year 2000 is, is where it began right. uh, and still traveling. Um, still on traveling. Yeah. 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 Um, and then you decided or you felt called to be a minister later on or a pastor or a preacher, whatever we want to call it. So um, I indeed, I um, I started working with young people at uh, the church in, in London. By then I was living in London um, and um, through that journey of trying to help them learn more about what it means to follow Christ, to be a committed Christian. Um, I I ended up going on a, a trip to Ghana Um to learn more about the, the community there and how the church could work in partnership, um, um, churches from in the UK work in partnership in a, in a challenging area uh, in Kumasi, in, in Ghana. Um, and it was there as I was asked to contribute to things like um, uh, leading devotionals in the morning uh, and to speak about my faith that others began to identify potential um, leadership qualities um, and perhaps a call um, to ordained ministry of some sort. Um, I wasn't so sure as people identified that <laughs> with me. Um, so it took a few years for me to be convinced that's what God was calling me to do. Um, I think the image I had of a minister, um, the person that I was didn't seem to fit. I didn't see anyone that looked like me or, or um, um, really led or, or, or in, in ways that I would envisage that I would. Um, but eventually, as I moved back to Birmingham and I got a job working with um, a regional Baptist association and a Baptist college, more and more people began to say, I think you might be called um, to ordained ministry. And I began to pray 
um, with trusted people and um, heard um, from God myself that that, that calling. Um, and so, um, so 2014 is when I began the journey towards ordained um, Baptist ministry. Um, and uh, that is what I am today. I am an ordained Excellent. minister. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So um, where have you been a minister? You've had several or? So I um, started in Birmingham. So I had a placement um, working with um, a lead minister at the church. Um, and that church called me as an associate minister. Um, and then I moved from there to, to Cambridge, where I was um, sole minister um, at a church in the centre of Cambridge for five and a half years before I moved into my current role, which is a regional minister um, with the Eastern Baptist Association. Um, so now instead of leading one um, local church, I help to, to serve and um, support the ministers and congregations of um currently 33 Baptist churches in Cambridge. <laughs> okay, um, that sounds challenging. Yeah. So when you were in Cambridge, you were and still are um, chaplain to Anglia Ruskin University. You were just next door to it, weren't you? Yes, so I, I'm I'm one of the associate chaplains. So we support mm -hmm. the um, lead chaplain for the, for the campus. There's a number mm -hmm. of us um, mm -hmm. from, from different faith backgrounds. Um, so I've done that since 2016 um, mm -hmm. and currently still doing that and it's a great job yeah so was it easy to contact the students so and where were they from and what were the sort of problems that they typically faced being abroad and being here so it's a range of students students who are home students um, students are that are international so a real range from different faith backgrounds some with no um uh, recognized um, connection to, to um, organized religion. They, they, they might um, identify as spiritual or atheist or some other belief background. Um, so very diverse, as, as, you, uh, as I think, as you, you've said, um, in terms of ethnicities as well, um, all parts of the world. Um, so I have always been very involved with what we call welcome weeks, which take place in September and January as new students arrive. Mm -hmm. Um, and we always have um, stalls with fun things. Um, so this year there were marbles. Uh, our new lead chaplain was very creative using marbles and reflections and helping people think about their unique identity and the unique contribution they may make to um, university life and um, wider community. Um, and then um, involved in things like um, in previous years, what we called a pop-up cafe. So different times of the year we'd pop up somewhere in the building um just offering free tea and coffee and a listening ear and this year something new we've been running something called the starting well cafe um which is all about um well-being so each monday lunchtime um for six weeks um first six weeks of of term we focused on a different uh, element so one week emotional well-being another week physical well-being another week spiritual well-being um, and students were able to come along and just um do fun activities have conversation get to know each other and just really share where they're at how they're doing and, and build the relationships connections with each other and with members of the chaplaincy team as we seek to to journey with them through the ups and downs of university life um which is a, a real pleasure well, that sounds very, very valuable um, indeed to get to know each other and to be connected with you. 
So um, the, the world seems to be at a very sort of uh, uneasy stage at the moment worldwide. Do you think that there's hope? What, what is your hope for the world? And is Christianity, we've just heard that it's less than 50% now in Britain that identify as Christians. Uh, do you think Christianity is going to last for years to come and generations to come? So absolutely, lots of hope. Absolutely, me too, absolutely. Um, and absolutely that Christianity that has lasted more than 2,000 years can more than cope with the current challenges of the, the world. I think we are in effect um, adjusting, particularly in the UK, from um, a history where there was, um, as you say, many more people that collectively identified as Christian. But I, I think if we look back with a with a maybe analytical, even critical lens, um, I think for many, many decades, um, if people are honest, they would say that they may have identified as a, as a Christian, but more nominally rather than in any real committed way. And so I, I think it's maybe reflecting on, on that data um, as saying more explicitly what perhaps has been true for much longer than we've recognised. Um, and it's a real challenge for the, the church to, to think about, well, um, how do we better share the, the joy and the transforming power um, of um, being a follower, a disciple of Christ? Uh, my own story is one of massive transformation um, of, you know, for a from a point of joining a church in the year 2000 and shaking almost uncontrollably as I tried to do a Bible reading because I was so nervous of public speaking to a point of being able to give sermons and, and speak publicly confidently because of the way God has worked in my life and being able to do that to, to, to help and support so many others. So I think it's, it's an opportunity for us to, to really share more powerfully and creatively about um, the, the faith that has just literally transformed millions of lives. Um, people have been willing to lay down their lives literally over centuries because they recognize there is no better way to live our lives than following Christ. And I'm a, I'm a great, great believer that as we think of what God's mission is, what, what God wants to, to see and happen here on earth, um, is very much rooted in an understanding of um, all of humanity living in better harmony with each other and nature, creation as a whole. Um, and the church being at the heart of doing the work of building a more just society. Um, and as we focus on that, that's when we enable that harmony um, to occur between humanity and creation. Um, that justice focuses at the heart of what Christ shared um, it's at the heart of the entire Bible from start to finish. I think in the image of creation was a just um, uh, picture of um, humanity and how things lived in harmony. And I think if we could just grasp that a bit more, our understanding of how that is at the core of what God seeks to do in and through us, um, and think of how we do that more creatively, I think we, we really sometimes underest underestimate the power of art. Um, I really, really think um, art can speak to people in ways that words sometimes um, struggle to, to make the point. So I agree with you. We've been far too verbal. Something visual yeah. really or something to touch Absolutely. really helps people a lot. 
poetry as well. Imagery, I think, is so important. Um, and I think if we can focus on those two things, justice more at the heart of um, the, the gospel. You know, it's often said the gospel is not good news without justice as part of it. Um, so we need to maybe connect with that a bit more. And I think our younger generations really get that. Things like eco-church um, and some of the movements around um, connecting issues of racial justice, gender justice, um, to the to the way in which people are, are experiencing the impact of things like climate change. They are really leading the way. And so for me, it's actually quite exciting because I, I think we're at a creative moment in church history. Um, and we're in that season of um, Advent and Christmas um, where um, there's just so much opportunity for us to, to share that. Um, so for me, it's excitement and, and I am absolutely hopeful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gail. It's been wonderful to talk to you. So harmony and justice, wonderful concepts. Thank you for coming and God bless you and your work. That was great. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Janice. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Gail. Thank you, Pavlina. And thank you, Janice. Listeners, Radio Maria cannot do all the wonderful things that we've been doing this year, nor could Women Together without your support, without your call-ins, without your prayers. If you want to know how you could support us anymore, please do visit our website, www.radiomariaengland.uk If you're listening to this as a podcast, please like and subscribe. Leave a review. It'll help with its algorithms get you higher on the chart. Share. Share our podcast with friends, family, loved ones. It is in sharing that we can bring these encounters to others. And that's the best way to encounter Christ. Let's finish our program and the year with a prayer. Oh, Holy Spirit, come guide us today. Lead us in what we do. Lead us in the work that our hands may do. Holy Spirit, bring our hands gentleness, kindness, strength to support all those we support. Holy Spirit, bring our hearts calm, peace and fortitude to continue to support those and ourselves in this day. Holy Spirit, we thank you for creating us in God's image, for creating us to be creations in this world. And Lord, thank you for giving us your mercy, your grace to become children's children of you, our living God. Lord, bless us, keep us safe and help each of us create a holy place where we live in our homes, 
in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our hospitals, in our shops, in our cars, wherever we may be. Let us bring that light of you to all that we meet. In your name we pray. Amen. 